Hi everyone, this week I am talking to Rachel Harvey from Rachel Harvey Neurodiverse Tutoring, which is a, a neurodiverse tutoring company that caters for all learning styles, specifically for children that do not learn in a neurotypical environment. And she's also a learning support specialist teaching in schools. I'm very excited to talk to her today. So from all the way from New Zealand, Let's welcome Rachel. <laughs> welcome Rachel. So good to see you again. You too. I'm really happy for you to come on here and share what you know with parents so that we have more knowledge about how the wonderful human brain works across ev uh, every aspect of um, neurodivergence. Yeah, cool. So do you want to tell our audience a bit about what you do and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Well, <clears throat> it starts right back at the beginning <laughs> when I was at school. I know I promise I won't do every year of my life, but I it was it was hard. It was a struggle. And the teachers always got annoyed with me. One of my teachers had a desk outside the classroom that was mine. So the uh -huh. first time I asked a question, they'd be like, out you go. When you just so, asked a question. Yes, yes. Uh, just well, I was the one who asked a question within the first five minutes because I didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> so I had a, I had my desk outside the room, but um, I had no idea that I was any different. I just thought certain subjects were um, harder for me than they mm. seemed to be for other people. Um, mm. It wasn't until I was at university doing an assignment on ADHD. Um, mm. and getting distracted by all of the awesome quizzes in the middle of the book instead of actually doing the research I was meant to do where I filled it out and got like full-blown your ADHD <laughs> so uh, I did a few others to like you know cross-reference and make sure it was true and then um, actually went and got a, a formal diagnosis and it explained so much about why school was hard why all the teachers would get annoyed with me um, why I was always in trouble for talking which was not like gossip it was what are we doing again I have yeah. no idea what the teacher just said they talked for half an hour and I was all on for two minutes and then gone mm. so um, like everything changed from that point on and it was just a, a massive relief like a weight off my shoulders because it wasn't me and I'm not faulty mm. um, I'm just different yeah so I was I was training to become a teacher when I found that out and it completely changed my focus on going into the classroom going I'm going to find these kids that were like me mm. and I'm going to make sure they know that they're okay and it's fine to learn differently and so and that was 20 years ago when I started teaching and it's just been a case of spotting these kids over time and helping them in the classroom and doing a lot of research in my own time to learn more about ADHD but then just realizing that there's all these different ways that people learn there's all sorts of different um, ways people's brains are wired mm. and started getting quite passionate about the fact that our education system is set up for neurotypicals and that all of these kids are made to feel like something's wrong with them because they can't learn under the current system mm. where there's nothing wrong with them it's just that it was easier to set up an education system that worked for the majority mm. so that's where my passion comes from my personal experience and then also I mean, I felt I felt stupid and I felt like something was wrong with me all the way through education. So 
to prevent children from feeling that way and to help them realize that they're awesome and their difference makes them special rather than um, like a burden on the education system. Mm. So that's where all the passion came from. And, um, and then seeing the change in children, when you actually put nurture ahead of everything else, you are an important individual and who you are, um, there's n nothing faulty about that. It, we have to change, not you. So I need to change the way I'm teaching and change the way I'm um, presenting the lessons and things to you so that you can learn. Mm, yes. When you do that, it completely changes their lives. And then if they feel that nurture and understanding and acceptance, it really opens them up to the learning. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's, that was the, the inspiration. Where it's gone since there is crazy because there is so much scientific research out there on the brain and how we learn that it's like a Pandora's box. Once you start getting into the research and finding out that there's been science for more than 20 years proving that there's one way to teach literacy that works for everybody and we haven't been doing it. It's crazy. Mm. The research has been out there. So yeah, now I'm really fired up. <laughs> <laughs> and why, why don't you think there's been that change yet? Um, I think uh, there's a... a something that happens in education you know things go around they the phonics came around it went away it comes oh, back yeah. again in a different form teachers are so used to seeing different programs come and go that they get to a point where it's like oh I'm doing this because I've always done it and I know it and it's easy and um they're worried that whatever new thing that comes out is just another fad mm. so I mean you'd have to really be interested in it and start looking into the science behind it and everything to be like okay actually this is the one change I need to make mm. also there's a lot of money involved because in New Zealand there's money behind the reading recovery the Murray Clay and stuff that that has been earmarked for that mm. so you know governments have money in certain programs right. and things that they've made commitments to and so you couldn't just on a whim go all right, we're going to retrain all of our teachers in a whole new way and all of the programs that we've put millions into we're just going to drop them and pick up a new one like it's a long process to change something mm. um I just think you know we should have changed it by now mm -hmm. so yeah there's yeah. definitely a groundswell in New Zealand now like it's taking off um not government directed it's school directed like the individual teachers and management and um other uh, people out there who are starting businesses to try and um, change the way we teach you know despite what the government wants to do and teachers have a lot of power so I agree with all of that and I'm very passionate about child-led learning and making sure that children feel seen and heard and yeah um, it, it, I think it was a drive that came from my own experience as a child and not feeling that um and not and not getting that and now you know talking to you last week and doing a lot of research I'm I really feel like I've got ADHD as well yeah and and um looking back on you know my school records I I was never told that I was stupid or you know that I wasn't very good but I was very good at deceiving everyone into yes. 
thinking that I'm, you know, this perfect student. And, you know, in, in, in high school, for example, I was a, one of the six main leaders of the school and was a prefect and I got colors in music and I got all these awards, but were they anything to do with academia? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I failed, yeah, I failed uh, English and biology in year 12 and I was doing them again in year 13. Yeah. Um, so the reason I'm bringing this up is because I'm 32 and I've only just now just started thinking that, oh, maybe this is why I am the way I am. Like everything's starting to make sense. One in five of the population in neurodivergent. 20%. Yes. Yeah, 20%. So it's really not a small amount, like not enough to shaft them in the education system and say, oh, you're different. You'll have to work it out. 20% is huge. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd normally say, oh, that's scary, 20%. But no, it's actually something to be celebrated that we know this. These are the people who are now being targeted for employment. They're um, saying would suit someone with neurodivergence. And, mm. and their adverts and things because these people are proven now to be so beneficial to companies so that they've got a lot to offer and they think outside the box and they've got a way of just coming out with ideas and I might have different social skills or require a different office setting that is soundproofed or you know without the distractions and things but once you've got the ideal environment for these people they they are going to contribute a lot to your company. Mm. So it's not something to just go, you just need to survive the education system and then once you get out there, you'll be fine. No, it should be equal access to of education to all, you mm. know? So 20% of those kids, imagine what they could do if they had the same access to education that everybody else had. If mm. they're already out there doing amazing things, imagine how many more could be if they actually had... Um, the sort of literacy teaching that would put them ahead yeah so it's just, it's ridiculous like these people are um coming out the other end of education and still making this incredible um uh, I don't know what are they contribution <laughs> yeah they are their contribution to society and what they can offer is mm. massive and that's without ideal education yes you know that's just scraping through that's just putting on this facade and pretending that you can cope and going home and having to nap on the couch or something because you're so exhausted from pretending all day that you were okay when you're not yeah yeah you know, pack the chips on the couch vegging in front of the tv for two hours before you can actually function again that is part of neurodivergence if your kid mm. comes home and they are completely lazy and won't contribute or do anything after school, really think about why that is. Because um, working your brain, it, it's a muscle. So, mm -hmm. you know, you could go, you do a marathon and you come home, you would expect your child to lie down on the couch. But mm -hmm. after a day of school, you want them to come home and do homework and everything else. But for these neurodivergent children, that's a marathon for them. Mm -hmm. They've exercised their brain so much during the day just to do what neurotypicals can do without thinking they're exhausted when they get home so 
maybe instead of you know giving them a hard time about not contributing after school to the household think about why are they so tired you know what what's happened during their day that they're so exhausted when they get home the majority of the children I work with their parents say they're really tired when they get home which is why you know tutoring in the afternoon is not ideal because they're they're done by then Mm. but what what do you think needs to change in schools to help neurodivergent children feel calmer uh, less tired at the end of the day and more able to to focus and to learn well there's there's quite a few things and in the modern learning environments we have in New Zealand at the moment you can have up to 90 children in an open space between three teachers 90 yeah 90 so up to 90 but yes this is we have open space classrooms um that flow into each other and say three teachers in the space and um they're they're modern and they're designed to be um have this um inclusivity and this flow between the rooms and the teachers Uh, the problem is is you have children who get overstimulated Mm. or auditory processing disorders or um you know even adhd like i don't know about you Lara but with me I hear everything Mm. like everything comes in at the same level so Mm. teachers talking I can hear the clock ticking I can hear the kid flicking their pen in the background I'm actually listening in on a conversation over to my left because it's more interesting than what the teacher's saying I'm also wondering what I'm going to be doing after school there's something out the window like then you add bright colored walls and artwork Mm. hanging and all of this so you've got visual stimulation you have um, movement of children through the rooms because you're working with a teacher, but other kids are moving around. You have the um, auditory, so all of the, the talking, like it, it's too much. Mm. And then we want them to work, like read this chapter and then answer these questions and yet yeah, all of the stuff's going on around them. Mm. That's exhausting. I, as a teacher with ADHD, that's incredibly exhausting yeah. managing all of that and and still trying to be normal because mm. that's what's expected. We all need to be normal, right? Right. What is that? <laughs> oh, I don't even know. I'm my normal. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, the, the modern learning environments are not great. But then, you know, the, the old fashion learning environments weren't great either Mm. because so they've moved away from this um you know everyone at their desk you're all treated as machines type thing into this very inclusive um it's more of a holistic model but you've taken these neurodivergents away from what was working for them really because i mean you have your desk it's yours the things inside it belong to you the desk is in the same place. You know where to go. You know where your things are. You know what the expectations are. Subjects were separate. You did writing, then you did reading, then you did maths. And it was all very compartmentalized and a little bit easier for these students to cope. Plus, old school, be quiet. You know, we were all working on something at the same time. Class was quiet. Mm. Completely different now. And I understand what they're trying to achieve with that, um, which is admirable. 
but then you've got to have these breakout spaces for these kids that are soundproofed because you know we still want the inclusivity and the the nurturing environment and the catering for diversity but these kids need to be able to cut it all out just to concentrate mm. if it if it was your school and you, you could design it <laughs> <laughs> oh I've thought about this <laughs> what, would it, what would it look like um well interestingly it would be outside as much as possible mm. because um trees nature fresh air like they're they're so good for the soul if you have that um it's almost like at the expense of, of sounding a bit airy fairy it's this freedom of your spirit of just being like okay and being able to breathe and then being open to learning if you're treated like a machine and it's like you've got half an hour to get through this and then we're doing this and we're doing this and you need to tick off all these things and it's like we treat these kids like they're a machine and they've got to perform all of these tasks for us by the end of the day pressure 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 mm. I mean I don't learn in an environment like that mm. so there are some neurotypical children who cope really well with that sort of pressure but uh, you neurodivergent have their own issues that they're dealing with. And then you put pressure on top of that is kind of what breaks them. Mm. So, yeah, I think I, if I was setting up my own school, I would be mixing the ages a little bit more and then having like just one age in a class, uh, having more family groups with older and younger children together. Um, I would want teacher aides in the classroom. So one teacher and a couple of teacher aides. So then having that freedom to just, you know, it's summer only really, but to go outside and sit under a tree to do some work, get away from the stimulation, have different spaces set up for different kinds of learning, like having soundproof booths and, you know, benches under trees and hammocks. And I know it sounds quite alternative, but it's like, Oh, it sounds like a dream to me. Um, <laughs> when I was at university, like this is this is weird, but I used to study in the bath. <laughs> like, ah. I mean, I put blankets in. There was no water. It was like duvets, pillows. Um, would take my laptop or whatever into the bathroom and study in there because it was no distractions. It's just white. There's nothing in there to distract me. It's it's somewhat uncomfortable, so I just want to get it done. And it was about finding the space. It was like a cocoon. I felt like trapped in, and it forced me to get the work done. And I would set times and go, okay, an hour studying in the bathtub. Mm. And it was just I was just looking for the space that was um, calming for me, mm. and that was it. Mm. So now. I would probably be wanting to find uh, a hammock, something that's swaying with the wind. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I like, like, next to the ocean. I don't live next to the ocean, but that would be really nice. Mm -hmm. It's like finding your zen space, you know, yeah. something that works for you. Yeah. And there's a lot of kids who don't actually need to do that. Neurotypical can just pretty much go with whatever they need to do. But the rest of us, we yeah. have to find what works for us and it's not supported in our education system it would actually be very hard to I do understand that one step yeah. at a time we could we'll get there 
and there are yeah. alternative schools popping up all over the place a lot of forest yeah. schools now in the UK are yeah. coming up and I guess my thing would be that even though I sound a bit alternative and different I would be basing everything in science it has to be evidence-based so it's not just because it feels good it's because there is scientific evidence that being in nature and being outside um, helps your brain receive learning better. You know, like it's not just a... It well, there, there is. Yeah, there's but, a lot of research out there yeah. about that. So just around the, the brain and, um, you know, we have that fight or flight um, thing going on. Uh, the, the fight or flight mode is when you're adrenaline and cortisol levels are high you can't learn like that so mm. kids often come into school like that not ready for learning they've been like in survival mode they get to school they're worried about friendships they don't want to get in trouble with the teacher they've missed a deadline and they've got those those levels are too high to actually receive new learning so what we need to do as educators or as the people working with them is set this really calm environment. They come in, they know the expectations, they know the routine, they trust you, they feel loved, respected, understood. Then those adrenaline and cortisol levels come down and the uh, serotonin oxytocin flow goes up and we've got now our brain is ready to receive new information and learning. And that is all around that nurture. Mm. So if you don't have that nurturing environment where the children feel safe, like they can breathe out and just go, oh, okay, I'm good now. They're not going to learn or they'll learn not at capacity. Mm. So it's our job as their educators to be setting that tone and that safety zone for them at the beginning of every day and then throughout their year. And that's not common with education as far as I have experienced. It's more, well, teachers are running to the ground. There's so much to do, so many subjects to cover. Mm. Our workload is huge. And it, so in the morning is when you're stressed the most because you're like, I've got to get all this stuff ready for the day and I've got to set this up and oh, God, don't touch that. And it's, that's kind of how your day starts a lot of the time. Mm. And so the kids come into your turmoil because you've now got 15 minutes till the bell's going and you guys are too late and get out and you know and that's often how the start of your day goes mm -hmm. so we're not setting our kids up for success starting them out like that mm -hmm. yeah so that's one of my big things is uh reset myself at the door and whatever I'm bringing and my stress and and panic and and jumbled brain which is always there I kind of got to leave it at the door and be who I need to be for these kids so that they're like you're calm I can be calm mm. yeah mm. I think that's why yeah. I really liked I really liked Rye uh, when I was a uh, teacher I, I came across the center called TLC the learning center and when I walked in there, I instantly felt so calm. There was yeah. very little on the wall, neutral colours. All yeah. the teachers were sitting down. They're not rushing around. And they're like this, the rock for these infants and yeah. toddlers. Oh, it's just so beautiful to see. And yeah. 
and, and there's yeah. no reason why we can't do that with older children right we should be able to keep doing that all the way through yeah 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 but it requires um quite a lot of uh self-discipline as the adults in the room to leave your stuff out of it yeah <laughs> yeah which can be yeah. difficult sometimes especially if you're going through something intense in your home life and then leaving it at the door yeah. and not bringing it into the classroom so what is the difference between neurodi neurodivergent and neurotypical so um interestingly the term that is probably more most commonly known as neurodiversity which was the um term coined quite a while ago now and the issue with that is we know that diverse mean includes all and neurodiversity has been used as a term that refers to um specific people who are differently wired in their mm -hmm. brain um that is more commonly becoming known as neurodivergent now which makes sense because diverse is everybody is different and divergent is there are some people who diverge from the norm so you have um so i've got that image of the umbrella with um, neurodiversity so that's all of us and then under the umbrella you have neurotypicals and you have neurodivergence so mm -hmm. your neurotypicals 80 percent of the population your neurodivergence are 20 percent of the population mm -hmm. um our education system is set up for the neurotypicals so the 80 percent and the neurodivergence just survive you get through and out the other end um maybe with qualifications maybe not um the scary thing is that uh, the the prison population is 90 percent in the last research that was done in new zealand was around 90 percent illiterate and 60 percent wow. yeah so you have to kind of go at some point our education system is failing these people because if 60% are dyslexic, we know dyslexia is something that you're born with. It doesn't um, come up because of bad parenting or um, you know, a teacher you didn't like or something. You're born dyslexic. So how is it that 60% of our prisoners are dyslexic? Mm. If you are going through a system where you never learned to read or write, you don't, it, it's pretty hard to function in our society not reading or writing mm. so it's like there's this one track that you can go mm. you know it's not quite that dire there's a whole lot of people with dyslexia out doing well with their life but it is concerning that 90 percent of our prison inmates are illiterate mm. so our education system is failing a whole bunch of people the interesting thing i find in new zealand is that they after this research came out they put literacy programs into the prisons uh, to work with people to improve their reading and writing which is fantastic but they did nothing with the schools mm. so it's like they you know you're going to help people once they get to prison but you're not going to change our schooling system that means that they ended up leaving education without reading or writing mm. so these literacy that, it just doesn't make sense like no it doesn't 
no uh, so you would think that is very much ambulance at the bottom of the cliff right yeah. i'm not saying take literacy out of the prisons yeah it's brilliant i think the work they're doing is amazing and they need to keep doing it increase it do it more but also you need to look at our schools and go why are that many people leaving the education system illiterate mm. they shouldn't be they're all in there they're a captive audience for you know how many years of their life mm. and they're leaving not reading or writing what are we doing in that time yeah so it's quite it's scary so now what's happening with the structured literacy the science of reading is that because of the neurological scanning they are now able to back up like 20 years of research saying there is one way that the brain learns to read and write um and it's this particular way they're now able to prove that with neuroscans and it's you, know, you can't refute that <laughs> they've tried lots of people have tried to disprove all of this and you can't disprove it that there is one way and it is and um, this is for both neurotypical and neurodivergent yeah. people yeah so there is a um slide i have there called the ladder of reading mm -hmm. at the top <laughs> at the top you've got uh five percent learning to read um it's effortless you know those are the kid you could throw a book at their head and they'll learn yeah it's <laughs> really nothing you do they're gonna read anyway and then you've got 35% learning to read is relatively easy with basic broad instruction. So whatever, um, whether you do whole language, balanced literacy, structured literacy, they'll get it, they'll learn, they'll be fine. And this is the scary bit, 40 to 50% don't learn that way. So 40 50% of our students need a structured literacy um, approach to reading and writing for them to learn. Then you've got 10 to 15% that need structured literacy on repeat. So lots and lots of repetitions mm. of the same content over and over throughout their schooling for it to be consolidated enough to apply it in life outside of school. Interesting. So those are the 10 to 15% that will not be reading and writing when they leave school if they don't get that. So it's, it's, if you have the structured literacy approach in your schools, you've got 100% coverage. Mm. So all of those children have the capability of reading and writing. That bottom um, 10 to 15% mm. are the ones who need intervention, so which traditionally has been reading recovery, but um, reading recovery has been proven not to work for neurodivergence. So ironically, the kids who are going to need it the most aren't going to learn to read through that. So that helps your neurotypicals who are at the bottom kind of of the ladder, mm. but your neurodivergence won't learn through reading recovery. So they need an intensive structured literacy tier three intervention. So there's another image in there with the tiers. So it's like a, like a pyramid. And at the bottom, oh, you have yeah. tier one, which yeah. is classroom practice. Mm. So that one is just, you know, your day-to-day -day classroom programming. Then you have tier two for your children who are struggling a bit and they have extra support in the class, whether it's a teacher aide or whether the teacher takes a second group or whatever with them. And then you have tier three, which is that pretty much that bottom 10 to 15% of children who are not going to learn in the classroom and they need specialized support. Mm -hmm. So whether that is um, a private tutor doing structured literacy or um, the school is fortunate enough to have the budget to be able to employ someone to do that 
which is kind of rare in our public system, then that would be tier three. So that's um, very repetitive at that point and you go back and you're working on a foundation and you're really building them up mm. and repeating over and over. So um, the there is research around how many repetitions you need to consolidate your learning. So a neurotypical needs between one and four repetitions of content for it to be consolidated. So we're talking really um, yeah one to four repetitions that's it. What? So I know crazy eh there are people who can get stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's neurotypical that is the the 80% of the population so they basically the teacher teaches something you go over it the kids do some follow-up work you review it the next day you're already hitting like three repetitions there one more time it's in like if you see the word and written down you know and it's in your head you'll never forget that that's there for good that's like consolidated learning right so they get that in one to four repetitions wow okay yeah i know lucky them and then <laughs> Then you have the um, people who have, um, or the students who have a mild learning difficulty or divergence, and they need 12 repetitions of something for it to become consolidated, mm. which is still, it's still not too hard to do 12 repetitions. That's kind mm. of your tier two. So that's, you've got the general classroom teaching, and then um, you might do something at home with your parents around, you know, they send stuff home for you to do or the teacher aides working with the child in the class on that thing a few more times and you can get up to 12 repetitions that becomes consolidated. Mm. Then you have your um, neurodivergence, your, um, well, I was gonna say diagnosed, but there's plenty of undiagnosed who are extremely um, at the extreme end of their spectrum. But the, the ones who are really affected by their learning needs are 36 to 100 repetitions wow. for them to consolidate information. Wow. So that is not going to happen in the classroom. That requires lots of work at home. It requires an amazing attitude and effort from the child because they're going to be having to go over something a lot. Mm. So in my uh, job, I have a few jobs, <laughs> but one of them is a learning support teacher in a school and I do the 36 to 100 repetitions. So they come to me and I have to, um, so I'm following a scope and sequence um, that is very structured, it's cumulative, it's explicit. Um, and we go through that over and over and over. Like we don't do Monday, we're going to learn magic E, Tuesday, we're going on to something else. We do magic E for about three weeks. So they see me three times a week, 45 minutes, and we're going to do that for three weeks. And we're going to approach it in as many different ways as we can. Mm. So the, last week I was doing magic with some kids and we made rainbows out of plasticine and had them going from an E over to another vowel to show that the E made the vowel before, say it's long sound, put mm. glitter on it, make it magic. Poor E has lost his voice and we can't hear him anymore. And they were like, that's <laughs> And it's like, you know, you create an image and you mm. create something that I'll remember. Mm. And then, and that's like five repetitions. <laughs> so mm. we're a long way off, you know. We then need to see that image a lot. We need to um, talk about it a lot. Every time we are covering 
um, we're reading, we're seeing the magic E in there and I'm saying, hey, look, there's a magic E. Remember what it does? Mm -hmm. And you're going over and over and over it. When we eventually move on to the next thing, I'm still going to be mentioning the magic E for another two months after that, mm -hmm. at least. So you just, you just keep reviewing, you keep going over and over and over it, but not in a way that feels taxing for the kids. It's, they, they feel quite proud that they know what it is when you say, what's magic E again? And they can all kind of tell you what it is and they're all excited about it. It's not boring. Mm. It's really interesting. And if you talk to any of my kids, I'm pretty sure they would tell you they really enjoy it. Mm. So I talked to my children about them, their brain being a bucket and that when we're learning new concepts, and so they know all about the repetitions. I, I had a bucket and I filled it up with water and I showed them how many repetitions they need and that they're like the 36 to 100 group. And I said, every time you leave here, you leave the lid off your bucket and you go slush, slush, slush and you come back tomorrow and there's hardly anything left. So we've got to start filling it up again. And they really understood that and it made sense to them. So they often say, hi, oh, how full is my bucket missed? Like, do I know that now? So it's this visual concept that's actually quite, beneficial for them to understand what I'm doing and why we go over and over it so many times yeah so it's it uh, is an effective way of showing them and I I mean I got the bucket and I showed okay this is neurotypical <laughs> just filled it up and went done they know it They're like that's not fair I'm like yeah I know like the world's not fair guys but it's good for you to be really aware that you need lots of repetitions because I'm here to help you do it now, but when you go to high school, no one's going to be doing it for you and you've got to go home and run your own study so that you do all those repetitions and you've got to take responsibility for that. Mm. So if they didn't understand they needed that, they might start failing at high school and not know why. So yeah, it's being really real with them and open and honest and going, this is what your brain is like and it's fantastic and there's heaps of advantages but you've got to be in control of the disadvantages so that you're not disadvantaged in life. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and your experience with listeners. And I think it will help many a parent and child. If anyone who is listening wants to find out more um, about what you do and um, find more helpful information, where can they do that? So I have a Facebook page and um, but probably more importantly is to go and find the website. So it's uh, Rachel Harvey NDT for neurodiverse tutoring.co.nz. So that's I've got articles that I write in there that give um, a bit more of the research and visuals and things. Um, and because I'm neurodivergent, I write for neurodivergents. So they are not long articles. They're easy to understand. They have visuals. So, you know, like I'm wading through massive research things to write the simplest little bit so that you can get it. It's, um, yeah. And then I've got, um, in there I have a shop. So I've got resources that I um, make to sell. A lot of them PDFs. So really easy to access. Um, like I have these flashcards that I use with my students that have the side for them and then all of the teaching information on the back. So because neurodivergence again, I can't remember stuff. So I can get up in front of the class and they can say, how do you spell that? And I'll go mind blank. So, which is not good for a literacy specialist. Mm. So I, I make resources basically that makes teaching super easy. 
and um, you don't have to be a teacher to use them. Mm -hmm. So if you just want to help your kids at home, all of the information is on the back. You don't need to do any research. You don't need to know anything beforehand. Is helping your child, you have all the resources that you need to be able to do it at home. And it only, the science shows they need three interventions a week of about half an hour to make a huge difference in their lives. And you can actually do that as their parents. You don't have to be a teacher. First, you can actually email me and ask me questions. And I love replying to those when I should be going to bed at night because, you know, procrastination, I don't like sleeping much. <laughs> them. Oh, awesome. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. You are so welcome.